All right, good morning. We're not in 1 Corinthians today. We're going to look at something else. Um, I'm going to start with a story. A story from the Bible. What we see in the beginning of the book of Exodus is the, the people of God are in Egypt, and they've been in Egypt for a long time. And things started well, and things have gradually become really bad for them. They're slaves in Egypt. And God sends a man called Moses to Pharaoh, Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. He sends him, go and tell Pharaoh to let my people go. Pharaoh says no. And Pharaoh repeatedly says no as God brings different judgments and plagues on Egypt. Until the Final plague comes and the firstborn from every family in Egypt dies, but the people of Israel are saved by painting the blood of a lamb over the door of their houses. And Pharaoh finally says, go, get out, go. And so the people leave and they head out into the desert and they come to the Red Sea. Ah. Red Sea in front of the man. And Pharaoh, in the meantime, he changes his mind. And he heads out. I'm going to get my slaves back. I'm going to get my slaves back. All these slaves I've let go, what am I doing? I'll go and get them back. And so the people of Israel are faced with this dilemma. The sea before me, Pharaoh behind me. What am I going to do? God says to Moses, don't worry about this. Stretch out your hand over the sea with your staff. Stretch out your hand. And as he does, through the night, the sea banks up. And a pass created through the middle. And the people of Israel walk down into the sea and walk through on dry land. And they walk through. They, they, where there was a sea, there is now space. There is dry land to walk on, and they walk through the sea. And of course, Pharaoh and his soldiers think, well, we're going to follow them. They follow them into the sea. We'll come back the other way now. But the people of Israel, they walk through, and Pharaoh and his army start to follow behind. And the people of Israel, they come through and out onto the dry land on the other side. And then God causes confusion among the Egyptians, and then God says, Moses, hold out your staff again. And the sea comes back together. The sea pours back in to fill the space that it had left. And Pharaoh and his army are done for and defeated. As they come out of the sea and Pharaoh's army are defeated, what do Moses and the people do? Exodus 15. I will sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. Both horse and driver he has hurled into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my defence. Moses and the people sing to the Lord. And, and later on in the chapter we see that Miriam and, and all the women of Israel with her take up tambourines. Shudder. And they dance and they sing. Sing to the Lord, for he's highly exalted. As they come out of the sea, as Pharaoh is defeated, as they are free, the people sing to the Lord, 
a response of praise in song. And today, rather than looking at 1 Corinthians, we're going to focus on being a community of worship, a people of praise. See, even in that story, the people, they've come through. God has brought them out. What's their response? They sing to God. They sing to the Lord. We're going to focus particularly on when we come together. Hence, I kind of wanted to break in a bit earlier and then we'd worship at the end. But you can't really stop what was going on because it's kind of what I'm going to say. Don't you love it when God does that? (laughs) We're going to look particularly at Isaiah chapter 12. We'll reference some other scriptures, notably Psalm 145 to 150, the last Psalms. But we're going to look at Isaiah chapter 12. Just felt God would draw us there. So I'm going to read that. Isaiah chapter 12. In that day, you will say, I will praise you, Lord. Although you were angry with me, your anger has turned away and you have comforted me. Surely God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. The Lord, the Lord himself is my strength and my defence. He has become my salvation. With joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. And in that day you will say, give praise to the Lord. Proclaim his name. Make known among the nations what he has done. And proclaim that his name is exalted. Sing to the Lord, for he has done glorious things. Let this be known to all the world. Shout aloud and sing for joy, people of Zion, for great is the Holy One of Israel among you. We see Isaiah prophesying about a great day of praise. It begs the question immediately, well, what day? As we turn back into chapter 11, we see these words that might be familiar to us. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots a branch will bear fruit and the spirit of the Lord will rest on him. And the chapter goes on to tell of all that this one will do. This shoot that comes up from Jesse, from David's line, Jesus. All that Jesus would come and would do and achieve and say. And then Isaiah says, in that day, in that day, you will say this. In the day of the coming of Jesus and all that he would bring and has now brought, all the salvation he has won for us, all that he has achieved, all that Jesus has done. In that day, in the light of the mercy of God that has been poured out in Jesus, how do we respond? With praise, with worship. As I say, we're going to focus together today on, particularly on when we come together. But we're looking at how we are, this people, this is who we are. This is what God has put in us. We're a community of worship and a people of praise. As I say, we'll focus on when we come together. It's interesting to see even in this passage in Isaiah 12. Isaiah starts talking to the individual In that day, you, singular, will say, I will praise you, Lord. 
As it moves through the passage, suddenly we see in verse 3, with joy, you, and suddenly this is a different you, you all, you, collectively, you will draw water from the wells of salvation, and in that day, you all, together, will say, give praise to the Lord, proclaim his name. We see, even through this psalm, the bubbling up from each individual's hearts, joining together. You all will praise his name, will give thanks to him. You all will sing for joy to the Lord. You see, Isaiah's prophecy is looking forward to the joyful praise of the redeemed, gathered together as the church. The church united in praise and worship, singing to the Lord, for he has done great things, glorious things. That praise bubbling up from each individual and joining together in beautiful corporate praise. Worship to the King of Kings. You see, we see this, this heart and this expression in the early church. Words we often use and we often look at at the end of Acts chapter 2. At the end of the day of Pentecost, Peter stood up and proclaimed to the crowd, this is what you must do to be saved, and 3,000 have been added to their number. And we see as, as time goes on, they say this is what happened, that in Acts 2.42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles, and the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to everyone who had need, and every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favour of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. We see this big group, they're, so, they're devoted to so much. They're, they're, they're coming to the, the teaching of the apostles. They're coming to break bread together. They're coming to do all these things, but in amongst all of it, praising God. Praising God, lifting up his name. As they gathered, as they were on their own, yes, but as they gathered together, proclaiming his name. See, this is what the church is called to be. A community of worship, a people of praise. As the Westminster Shorter Catechism states, or ask the question, what is the chief end of man? What's our purpose? What is it all about? Man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. We long to come and glorify him. Not just when we gather together, but yes, when we come together. You see, what we see, both in the, the Exodus story and in Isaiah chapter 12, this is the appropriate response. This is an appropriate response. Look what God has done. I'm going to sing about it. I'm going to sing to him. I'm gonna, we are going to sing and make music to him. Remember last week when Dan was looking at 1 Corinthians 1. And we come to the end of those, that chapter in, in 1 Corinthians 1 verse kind of 28 to 31. We see that God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. It's because of him that you're in Christ Jesus who has become the, for us the wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness and redemption. Therefore, as it's written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. 
See, worship, as Dan mentioned last week, worship is appropriate boasting. We're going to boast about Jesus. We're going to lift up his name. We're going to say everything about him. He is worthy. Boasting about, marveling at, being lost in wonder at, delighting in the King. Jesus, our Saviour, our Lord and Creator. You see, it's already been mentioned a few times this, this morning, that sense of, this is a response that bubbles up in our hearts. It bubbles up from within us. Again, we could look at Paul in Romans chapter 11. He's looked for chapter after chapter at this glorious good news. This is what God has done. This is what Jesus did. This is why Jesus came. This is, this is what has happened. Oh, the depths the riches and wonder of the knowledge of God. Not quite that. But that sense, oh, the depths. Oh, look at this. Look, look at who God is. Look at his mercy. Look at his grace. It just springs from him. Right in the middle of his train of thought. Oh, Romans 11, verse 33, which you can look at later. So we're going to look. What causes this worship to spring from us? And we'll look at that. And then we'll look a bit about when we come together, what does it look like? So why? What causes this worship to spring for us, from us, to bubble up? Let's look closer at Isaiah chapter 12. So we read these first verses. Isaiah 12, verse 1, In that day you will say, I will praise you, Lord. Although you were angry with me, your anger has turned away, and you have comforted me. Surely God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. The Lord, the Lord himself, is my strength and my defence. He has become my salvation. You see this man that Isaiah is prophesying about, the praise springs from him because of what God has done for him. You see this focus on salvation. Because of what God has done for me, because of what God has done for us, this springs from us, from our hearts. Worship springs from the joy of our salvation. You see, as we look at Isaiah 12, it points us to the importance of, of grasping and understanding and seeing the revelation of what it is that God has actually done for us. The way Isaiah puts it here, very simply, you were angry with me, but your anger has turned away and you have comforted me. You were angry with me, God, in his righteous holiness. His righteousness is rightly angry at sin. He, sin is, cannot relate with God. It cannot be right. God cannot look on sin and be ambivalent. Or, well, I suppose it's okay. Sin is it's ugly and evil and wrong and just rebellion against God. You were angry. God was rightly angry. We were lost. We were evil. Lost in our sin and shame. Dead in our sins. 
You see, our worship starts here. Our worship and awe starts with a right understanding of this is where we were. In sin, lost, helpless. Not just, or maybe a little bit confused and I need a bit of help. Not just, well, I've done a few bad things, but I can kind of wipe them out and I'll do it right. No, we were lost. We were dead. We were, we were trapped. Think back to that picture of the, the Israelites. They could go nowhere. The sea before them, the Pharaoh behind them, this was helpless. We were helpless because of our sin. We were trapped. We were far from God. We use all these different phrases, but this is where we were. There was nothing we could do. And yet, and yet, let's wonder, let's wonder at this. We were helpless, and yet, the grace of God, the sheer wonder of the grace of God, that your anger has turned away. Your anger has turned away. The joy of our salvation, that the wrath and the anger of God has been turned away through what Jesus has done. His death and resurrection just at the right time, as Paul says to the Romans. In Romans chapter 5. Just at the right time, while we were still powerless. Romans 5 verse 6. Christ died for the ungodly. You see, just at the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. That's where we were. It goes on to say, very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, with no hope of changing that, with no hope of getting out, with no hope of being anything else, Christ died for us. You see, this is where worship springs from. As we, as we continue to grasp and get hold of and see the revelation of this wondrous truth, we were dead. Dead things can't become alive on their own. And yet Jesus has lifted us. He's, he's transformed us. He has brought us in. If we're in Christ, this is what has happened. We're new creations. Everything has changed. So the question for us this morning, do we recognize and understand this, that we deserve death and hell? We, we deserve nothing else. We were lost. We were depraved. We were dead in our sins. And yet now, if we are in Christ, he has lifted us from there. He's turned everything around. He's brought us into something completely different. We come into his presence, free, forgiven, saved. This is where worship springs from. Worship springs from a true understanding and knowledge of what it really is that he has done for us. We can see the comparison there with Moses and Miriam and the Israelites. Look, we were trapped. We had no way out. We've been brought through the sea. And look, Pharaoh and his army are gone. Oh God, what have you done? This is incredible. And yet this is deeper still. Look what you've done, God. Out of our sin, you've brought us into life. You see, we worship in response to God's grace. 
You see, it's much deeper than, well, God's done something nice for me. Or even, even, God has transformed the really challenging circumstance I was facing. Hallelujah that he does do that. In many situations, he comes in and breaks in miraculously. Now, he's become our saviour. He's brought us out of death into life. Our worship's not contingent on God fixing everything in our everyday to make our lives lovely. He saved us and brought us in to life. See, worship springs from the joy of our salvation. But we see as we read on, the writer broadens this. Isaiah broadens this out. We see more dynamics of what, where praise springs from. In verse 4, we see it. He broadens out to include this whole multitude of people. You all will say, Give praise to the Lord, proclaim his name, make known among the nations what he has done, and proclaim that his name is exalted. Sing to the Lord, for he has done glorious things, and let this be known to all the world. See, Broadens is that make known what he's done. Yeah, make known. He saved you and brought you in. Sing, for he's done glorious things. He's done many glorious things. All his works, his deeds, his great works. We read in Psalm 146. Glorious Psalm begins as all of those at the end of the book of Psalms, who praise the Lord, hallelujah, praise the Lord, praise the Lord, my soul. He says, I will praise the Lord all my life and I will sing to my God as long as I live. But as the psalm goes on, we get to verse six, we see, what's he lifting up to God? What's he declaring? This is what God has done. He's the maker of heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them. He remains faithful forever. He upholds the cause of the oppressed and gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets prisoners free. The Lord gives sight to the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. And the Lord loves the righteous. He watches over the foreigner and sustains the fatherless and the widow, but he frustrates the way of the wicked. We see as we read the Psalms, we see as we read Scripture, God, and we see as we live our lives, God has done amazing things. God continues to do amazing things day by day by day. God, as we read here, upholds, he feeds, he brings freedom, he gives sight, he lifts up, he loves, he watches over, he sustains. Could also look on in the next Psalm, in Psalm 147. Christ says how good and how pleasant it is to praise him, how fitting it is to praise him. He begins to talk of the provision and protection for his people. But also, right down to the nitty-gritty of, he makes the grass grow. God is always at work, in every way and in everything. Do we see? This is what, this is what God does all the time. He's at work. God's making the grass grow right now. He knows every hair on our head right now. He's sustaining us right now. God, sing to him for he has done glorious things. Particularly that that truth in Psalm 146 verse 6, he's the maker of everything. So many things we could focus on. 
But doesn't worship spring as we grasp we are fearfully and wonderfully made? He has knitted us together in our mother's womb. This is what God did. This is what God does. He's in control of everything. Worship springs as we recognise the goodness of God's deeds. Worship springs from the joy of our salvation. It springs as we recognise the goodness of his deeds. And, and then as we read on, even more perhaps fundamentally, in verse 6 of Isaiah 12, Shout aloud and sing for joy, people of Zion, for great is the Holy One of Israel among you. Great is the Holy One of Israel. Fundamentally, worship is due to God because of who he is. God, I worship. We worship you for who you are. Great is the Holy One of Israel. This is God, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the one who sits enthroned in the heavens, the one who did create everything, the one who is in charge of everything, the one who is above and beyond our very understanding. This is God. Worship springs as we reflect on who he is, on his great character. We could pick out so many things from Psalm 145. Again, another psalm of great praise. But as he goes through, as we go through the psalm, we see in verse 3, great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. In verse 5, they speak of the glorious splendour of your majesty. In verse 7, they celebrate your abundant goodness and joyfully sing of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love. The Lord is good to all. And he has compassion on all that he has made. Goes on talking, this is the character and... And the reality of who God is, he's God. This is our God, glorious and awesome, and worship springs from our hearts as we acknowledge and recognise and dwell on this is who he is. This is who it is that we follow. This is who it is that has saved us. This is who it is who we get to know. God, the God of the universe, the God who is holy. Awesome, kind and compassionate and gracious and, and all these things, faithful. Worship springs from that. See, as we've looked at that, worship springs from, from us in response to who God is and all that he has done for us. His mighty acts and the wonder of salvation. You see, as we're reminded of this truth, as we're reminded of the truth of God, this is where worship just bubbles up. I'll tell you a story. Yesterday, some of us were at a devoted meeting, devoted to a camp or a festival, a joining together of churches. That we, we come together in, uh, in, at the August bank holiday. You can book in today. Um, book in before the end of the month, price break all that stuff. If you want to know more about Devoted, you can come and ask us afterwards. But we were at a meeting about the planning of this event. And Paul, the guy who leads the team, reminded us at the beginning of the day, we've just spent some time in worship, but 
But in bringing us into worship, he reminded us of this. The truth of, a very long word, propitiation. This truth that we look at in Isaiah 12, you were angry with me, but your anger has turned away. Through Jesus' death, the wrath of God has been turned away from us and we are saved and we are secure in him. And he brought this picture of Apollo 13. Apollo 13 was a rocket that went into space and had some trouble, but they worked out and they were really ingenious and they worked out a way to, bring, to get them back to Earth. But even then, having worked out all this plan, they're coming back to the Earth's atmosphere and in reality, if anything comes back into Earth's atmosphere, it's just going to burn up. Except they have a shield on the front of this capsule, a heat shield. Or apparently, to give it its proper name, a propitiation shield. And this picture, as he spoke about it, you just think, yes, these astronauts were lost and there was no hope for them. But this shield kept them safe. The heat of the atmosphere would burn them up. There was no way that they could do anything. But the shield took the heat, took the wrath, took, the, took all of that, deflected it away, absorbed it, dealt with it, and they came home safely. If it wasn't for the shield, they would be dead. As Paul shares this story and shares this picture, you just, oh, oh, again, Jesus, that's what you've done. You died. In my place, you took the wrath of God that was due me. I was lost. I couldn't do anything about it. I can't take on Earth's atmosphere. I'm going to burn up. I can't take on, on God. I have nothing to come to him with. And yet, Jesus, you've done it. Oh, oh. So we're reminded of the truth as it, as it kind of speaks into our hearts again. Oh, worship springs forth. And of course, this worship springing forth is our life response. We're called to give our lives as living sacrifices, but it's true when we come together. I'll try and be quick. <laughs> when we come together, we see this wonderful joining together of hearts full of praise. So Isaiah 12 says, With joy you all will draw from the wells of salvation, and you all will say, Give praise to the Lord's. So when we come together, firstly, we come together to meet with God and to bring him praise. You see, this coming together of those who are saved and know his salvation, this bubbling, this stuff that's bubbling up inside us, this is God's people coming together into his presence. As we meet together, God dwells amongst us by his spirit. We're his people who are being built together to be a dwelling place for God by his spirit. There's something awesome here when we come together. It's not just a nice opportunity. Oh, we get to sing some songs. Oh, we get to listen to something. We get to, yes, we get to praise. No, no, there's something awesome happening here. We come collectively together into God's presence. You see, Isaiah understand something of that awesomeness when you look back in Isaiah chapter 6 and verse 5 he's kind of finds himself caught up in the, into the very throne room of God and, and he sees the king he sees 
What's going on around him? And his, his reply, woe to me, verse 5. I am, I am ruined, for I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. We get to come into the presence of God. As we come together, God is here amongst us. This is awesome. But also, do we see there's something glorious and beautiful about this? The bride of Christ, the family of God coming together full of joy to lift up his name. As we come drawing from the well of our salvation, outpours praise and thanksgiving and worship to the King. As we've seen this morning, songs of praise and all sorts of other things that have come, lifting up his name. This is beautiful. This is glorious. Oh Lord, I pray we would see this more deeply. Lord, it would affect our worship. Lord, that we would see we are your bride coming together. Lifting up your name. This is beautiful and, and glorious. Secondly, when we come together, we come to sing. No apologies. When we come together, we are to sing praise to him. It's not the only thing we're going to do. But we see this emphasis in scripture of declaring his praise in speech and song. We see verse 5 and 6 of this of Isaiah 12, sing to the Lord for he's done glorious things. Let this be known to all the world. Shout aloud and sing for joy, people of Zion, for great is the Holy One of Israel among you. We're called to sing to him. See Moses and Miriam as they came out of the sea and all the people with them. We're going to sing to him. See Paul and Silas in prison in Philippi. We're going to sing to God. We're going to shout his name. I'm going to give glory to him. It's in Acts chapter 16. We see in Psalm 149, this dynamic, the coming with rejoicing and with joy. We come to sing with joy. Praise the Lord, Psalm 149. Sing to the Lord a new song, his praise in the assembly of his faithful people. Let Israel rejoice in their maker. Let the people of Zion be glad in their king. Let them praise his name with dancing and make music to him with the tambourine and harp. For the Lord takes delight in his people. He crowns the humble with victory. Let his faithful people rejoice in this honour and sing for joy on their beds. See, this is a place of rejoicing and with joy and of joy and of singing. Of course, a real place for other forms of creativity, other expressions of worship, other ways that we can proclaim what he has done and recognise what he has done. Of course, in that psalm, we see dance, dan dancing, dancing, both, <laughs> dancing, particularly emphasised too, worshipping God with our whole bodies, using our hands, using our feet, Badly. But the point is, we don't have to be able to do it well, in that sense, well, in that kind of what looks aesthetically amazing. This is hearts of praise, and it's coming out in song and in dance and in response to him. 
It's a challenge for us to throw off restraint and worries of what others might think. Rich looks a bit funny down on the front row. Yeah, I probably do, most of the time. And also room, and also there is room for worship through many other creative expressions, but there is a real place for exuberance and joy as we sing his praise. I was reminded as I was thinking about this of a time uh, growing up. Me and my dad were big fans of a very, very local football team. The mighty Clevedon Town. Supreme. Wonderful. Glorious proponents of the beautiful game. Um, I remember and a couple of friends came with me and we got to this point, we, went, we were in a, there was a, the Somerset Premier Cup final. This is up here. It was a day out at, um, at the, uh, the mighty home of Yeovil Town. I have you know, we were at Hewish Park for the Somerset Premier Cup final. Clevedon were in the final. And I, I remember, I still remember this it was, a, it was a kind of epic game and there were penalties involved and there was extra time and there was, it went right down to the wire and we won. But in that moment of victory, remember this is Clevedon Town, it's the Somerset Premier Cup. In that moment, we're grabbing one another. This didn't happen very often at Clevedon Town. But in that moment, suddenly from inside us, we're grabbing one another, we're jumping up and down, we're screaming, we won! Didn't happen very often. But, but even in that moment, you think, this is a tiny local football team winning a tiny local competition, and we're going nuts! God has lifted us out of the pit and placed our feet on a rock. And we are free to worship him. What kind of reaction does that bring? <laughs> or should that bring? There's a, there's a real place for exuberance and joyfulness. Of course, not to the exclusion of reflection, of silence, as Dan mentioned at the beginning. And we have that time of just, we're going to pray of space, of coming quietly in awe, of coming even in lament, but there is a real place of exuberance and praise and joy and singing in response to Jesus and the joy of our salvation. As I say, a place for all sorts of other exp expressions and, of course, a recognition that worship goes way beyond singing, but we are called to sing and to lift up his name. Thirdly, we, we come with expectation and a heart to give. We're a body together. We're a people coming together. We all have a part to play. We're all part of this. We all get to take part. You see, we could accidentally get the, get the impression that we, we're the audience. There's a band on the stage and they're, they're all right. It could become a bit of a, we could accidentally, our, our hearts could come and it could feel a bit like, well, this is a bit of a gig, isn't it? We'll listen to the band and they're doing the stuff and we might join in and sing a bit 
and, uh, and dance a bit, but really it's them who's doing the stuff, or it's the leader up the front who's doing the stuff, or maybe there's a few people who are doing the stuff, and we're just going to watch. It's okay. You're just finding your way in. You're new here. Come and watch. Come and take part however you want to. Come and be here. But a challenge to us who know him, who are part of the body, we are all here to praise God. This is the family coming together. This is the family of God worshipping together. This is not a gig. Of course, the band has a real part to play. Leaders have real parts to play. The band facilitates us and, yes, leads us in song. People rightly have roles to play. We all have different ones. See that glorious outpouring of praise in Psalm 150? It's just packed with instruments. Verse 3 of Psalm 150. Praise him with the sounding of the trumpet. Praise him with the harp and the lyre. Praise him with tambourine and dancing. That tambourine's there again. Praise him with the strings and the pipe. Praise him with the clash of cymbals. And praise him with resounding cymbals. Music. Music. is such a part of a response of praise. But we're all apart. The band has a real part to play, but it's not them and us. The band will play and we'll listen and we'll maybe join in a bit. We come with worship to bring and we're able to be a part of it. You see, Paul instructs the Corinthians in this and we'll get to that at some point as we go through the, the, letter, the first letters of the Corinthians. In 1 Corinthians 14 and verse 26. What then shall we say, brothers and sisters? When you come together, each of you has a hymn or a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue or an interpretation. Everything must be done so that the church may be built up. Well, what does Paul mean? That we should go around so that everyone has a chance to say something. Everyone has a... That... This is your slot, and then it'd be someone else's slot. No. Paul, primarily, in one sense, in 1 Corinthians 14, is keen that good order is kept, that it's not chaos, or everyone's speaking over one another, and no one can really hear anything of what's going on because everyone's just gone... Blah, 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 blah. But in the midst of that, underlying to that, it could be any of us. If we know Christ, if we're in him, if he's dwelling in us by his spirit, we're all able to bring something. When at the beginning, like Dan did at the beginning this time, we encourage you that you might have a picture or a word or a, a prayer or a scripture or a tongue or an interpretation or a prophecy or a testimony or a song to start. The invitation and the exhortation there is that we all come with expectation and openness. God, what can I bring? What will you put on my heart that will bless my brothers and sisters? You see, as Paul's saying to the, the Corinthians, he's stressing this corporate care and compassion. Everything must be done for the building up of the church. No sense of, oh Lord, bless me with something, or, or give me something so that I might look good. No, it's for his glory and for the building up of our brothers and sisters. It's true for all of us. If we know him, God can speak to you and through you. And lastly, we come as a family. A family of all shapes and sizes. In Psalm 148, 
we see a wonderful picture of all creation praising the heavens above and the earth below and the angels and, and every part of creation and it focuses in on uh, all people. We just get a glimpse in, uh, in uh, verse 11 and 12. It's talking about kings of the earth and all nations, you princes and all rulers on earth, young men and women, old men and children. It's not a completely all-encompassing verse, but there's this wonderful sense of this is everyone. Not just when you hit 20 or something and then you can start being apart and maybe when you get to, I won't name an age, at some point later in life, then you kind of, you have to stop. Now this is for all of us, men and women, children and old, older folk, students, teenagers, we come as a family. None of us are included. It's for all of us. Children. So I was thinking about this. I just wanted to remind you, you are such a part of this. You're not here to sit through what the adults like to do. But God wants to hear your worship. And he loves to see your dancing. And he loves to, to hear your prayers. Whether you're, whether you're saying them in your hearts, in your seat, or whether you feel brave enough to come and share it from the microphone. Because it's not really all about coming to the microphone. We know that can be a bit scary. But you know what? If you have got something to bring... And we believe that God will give you things to bring. You can give mummy or daddy a bit of a tug. I think I've got something to bring. Can you come with me? We love to hear from everyone. But as I say, it's not just about sharing from the mic. We are all a part of what's going on. So it's great to see different ones dancing, singing, clapping, all sorts. God sees your heart and he loves to hear your worship. Teenagers, I want to challenge you to be bold. I want to encourage you guys that I know God's speaking to you. It's a long time back now, but I was so encouraged to be at New Day. And particularly, I remember being in the prayer meeting on that night. I'm praying alongside some of you guys. And seeing you praying for each other. Seeing you hearing from God. God speaking to you and through you. Seeing the passion in your heart for God and what he wants to do. When we were praying for your schools, we were praying for all sorts of things. My challenge and my encouragement to you is God is at work in you. And the non-pressure, but still a challenge. Don't rob us of what you've got and what God has given you.
let's all come with expectation. It's been so good this morning just to be hearing different voices, different things, different, everyone praising out, all sorts going on. All of us. And again, I was reminded of Joel's prophecy that Peter quotes in Acts 2. I'll turn to to Joel chapter 2. Joel chapter 2 and verse 28. Afterwards I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy, your old men will dream dreams, your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. All of us, young men, old men, men and women, visions, dreams, but I was, I was struck. Your old men will dream dreams. And this is an encouragement if you would consider yourself an older man or woman. Encouragement is this, don't let the enemy say that you have nothing left to give. Don't let the enemy say that you're overlooked and they don't need you anymore. You are loved, you are valued, and you have great wisdom to bring. Encouragement is this, dream dreams. That's what God says he's going to do. Give you dreams. Expect God to speak to you even more. To do even more than you have seen him do. And I know for many of you, you've seen him do amazing things. God's got more. And God can give you, God, God is doing more with you. So all of us, we come together as a family. We're a family together, we're for one another, we want to encourage one another to take part and to lift up his name in praise in whatever way God has given you. Without fear of being shot down or laughed at if it doesn't go perfectly, they were for one another. We want to lead well, we want to keep good order, we want to do things well but we're for one another we're the people of God a community of worship and praise that springs from the joy of our salvation from hearts that know the truth of who God is and what he has done and continues to do amen